everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelins and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We are so happy to have with us on tonight, Mark Barron, the tournament director of the ATP 250 Delray Beach Open, one of my favorite tournaments to cover every year. In what has been a crazy year with the COVID-19 virus, Mark and his team had to stay extremely nimble with the conditions of the current pandemic situation, which has resulted in certain scheduling changes. But this year, with the Australian Open being moved to February, the Delray Beach Open will be played during the first week of January instead of its usual mid-February time slot. I'm excited to talk all things Delray with Mark, and it is my privilege to welcome to the courtside with Bielinson Tennis Pod, Delray Beach Open Tournament Director, Mark Barron. Mark, uh, thanks for spending time. I, I am sure you got a bazillion things on your plate, so I want to hit, hit the few points and, and let you go back to work. David, it's my pleasure. So this was, if let, let's kind of take it back a year. Um, last year was normal time slot, February, 2020. This was one of the last events played on the ATP tour. I think there was Acapulco after that. And then everybody started heading to Indian Wells before basically the world stopped. Um, last year, as you typically try to do, improve it every year, you added the wrinkle of having Coco Goff, um, local resident, play the NCAA champion from University of Miami. Stella Perez Samariba was great. It was sold out. Such a great uh, exhibition to have on top of the regular tournament. Um, while there was talk of the virus at that time, it really hadn't hit the U.S. nearly as hard as it, it did in the, in the spring, summer, and winter. Was there a point where you were even worried that last year's event may have not occurred? Well, truthfully, David, I didn't even know about the virus during last year's event. Uh, the biggest thing I was worried about was rain. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Uh, the virus never hit me. Uh, no one ever discussed it here. So no, we weren't worried at all. Yeah, I, I mean, it was whispered about it. And, and, and again, it really hadn't hit the US, but that's interesting to hear. So, so it, didn't, it didn't add any layers of stress to you and be like, wait a second, we may have to cancel this at the last minute. So it's good there. So now no one knew how long this virus w- was going to affect the world. And you know, it started, Indian Wells was really the first major sporting event, even before the NBA, college sports um, all halted. At what point did you have thoughts in your head about, wow, this may be affecting our 2021 event? Well, about uh, probably about five months after our event, and we saw that this coronavirus was not going away so fast. So around June, around uh, June. Around June, yeah. And uh, there were whispers going around about the Australian Open moving their date. Uh, People started thinking about it. And then we heard that uh, California was really bad and Indian Wells was putting out little signs that they didn't know what was going to happen with their event. And this was as early as this summer? As this yes. summer you were hearing this? Uh, there was talk uh, because of winter coming up. That right. was the big reason. So I brought my staff together in the conference room and we started looking around as, on dates and about 30 different variables, what could happen to the calendar. <laughs> and... Uh, we said, uh, well, it came down to earlier was better than later because later tournaments are all going to be squished. Nobody knows where they're going to be. There could be three tournaments against each other, uh, two tournaments. Uh, you could be the second week of a, a thousand event, which would be devastating for us, of course, right. with Miami down here. Uh, so we looked at January 
and uh, we started having ATP tour meetings and I started bringing it up. And truthfully, everybody thought I was a fool. And the end of, right now, the, the consensus is that the Baron family are geniuses. <laughs> we ended up being the first tournament and only tournament in over two months to be televised nationally, worldwide. And uh, we're going to be watched everywhere. It's, it's going to be exciting to see live tennis. Yeah, without a doubt. I actually thought, and this is just me just thinking off the top of my head, was with Indian Wells, with, with the word of being, you know, Indian Wells is most likely not going to be played at its normal event. I was thinking, well, maybe Del Rey can hit in that spot, which would be right before the Miami Open, which you could then have your kind of Florida bubble. Um, I didn't know if that was a possibility or not. As it, as the result happened, you guys went first week of the year, um, which is which is great for you guys. But I, I was just thinking in my head, wow, that could maybe be a possibility. It was a possibility, uh, but understand the possibility only came up probably about 10 days ago. So it would have been impossible to cancel January and move to March. Uh, so that was not even on the table. But truthfully, we're excited being this date because there's nobody after us. There's nobody before us. We're the only game in town, and it's really exciting for everybody. Our sponsors love it. And, and it gives the players the appropriate time to quarantine um, for those that are heading down um, to Australia for the first major of the year. So Exactly. Perfect for you. What, what are some of the adjustments that you had to make for this tournament? Well, you know, there's some limited seating. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and any other adjustments? Obviously, it's not your normal um, event. Nothing is normal yet, but um, you and your team have done an amazing job. So if you can kind of talk a, a, a few adjustments you've had to make. There really weren't any adjustments. It's just like last year. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> totally Perfect. kidding. There's about 1,000 adjustments, literally. Uh, I mean, to tell you all the adjustments we would need till next Christmas right. to detail it all. We don't want to do that. No, just to, just to hit on a few of them. A few of them were financially are tremendous for us is uh, we opened up the West side stands on top, which we've never opened in 26 years uh, to get more seating in the stadium due to physical distancing, distancing. Uh, so from opening the stands on the West side, which up to our attendance, our seating capacity to 8,200. With social distancing, we can sell 2,000 seats. So we're really down from the normal 6,200 seats to 2,000. So that's a big adjustment, financially especially, of course. Right. Uh, seven figures worth of tickets we cannot sell, yeah. which we normally do. Uh, second adjustment is the hotel. Uh, we normally have a few hotels involved, but we can only do one hotel this year. Uh, it's a bubble. Uh, players cannot leave the hotel. They have to go from the hotel to the tournament, back to the hotel. They can't even go to uh, Dunkin' Donuts. And that's the way it is. And for those that don't know, Dunkin' Donuts is literally across the street from the site. This is not like players would have to get in a car and drive. What Mark is talking about, there's a Dunkin' Donuts literally across the street from the site. Exactly. So that's not allowed. Uh, any player that's seen off-site or off the, uh, not in the hotel and walking around and basically will be evicted from the tournament. I mean, that's really how it is. It's a flat out bubble. Yeah. So that was a big thing. And the other big thing with the hotel is our officials, which we normally put two in a room, can't do that anymore. So it's one in a room. So we had to get about 100% increase on hotel rooms, uh, autos. That's a big thing as far as transportation. 
normally we uh, rent about seven vans and have like 10 cars. Uh, well, we can't use vans. Uh, it can't be more than one in a car, except if it's their better half or if it's their coach, et cetera. So now instead of that many cars, we now are doubling our cars to like 30, 40 cars, which means we need drivers, which means we need testing. Testing's the major thing. Uh, Baptist Hospital is involved. Doctors, a firm, doctor firms involved. So we'll have doctors here. Their nurses will be here. We'll have an area for testing. And God forbid somebody is positive, we'll have an area for them to go to. Uh, so the testing is tremendous because we, we do the swab, it's gotta be at the lab and then it's gotta come back and it's gotta be done within a certain amount of time so the player knows whether they can play or not or they have to be quarantined. So that's another big thing. Now there's a thousand others, which I won't right. even get into, which are the smallest stuff, but they all add up. They all add up. No, I appreciate you you highlighting a few of the big big ticket items, and it's, it's good to hear that insight. And I know you guys have been working day and night. And again, just the flexibility of even when you were having the tournament, it's not just you. It's dependent on a, a thousand different variables. So uh, probably not a ton of sleep for you the, uh, since June trying to figure all this out, but I appreciate you giving us the insight. Um, this event, and your family's been involved in it for a very long time. It's really a family affair. Your two sons also work with you in this event. Um, Ivan played professionally. Adam played collegiately. How cool is it to work? I, I know it's stressful now, but how with, with, the, with the current situation, but how cool is it to, to go to work and work with them every day? It really is great. Uh, having my two boys here and my third son, David, who's in California, who's an attorney, uh, he also helps us in the legal end of it as well. However, Adam Barron, my other son, who's an attorney as well, he's so busy, he can't handle the legal stuff, so I give it to my third son. But having work. all three boys involved, uh, Ivan, Adam, and David, it, it's phenomenal. I probably would retire tomorrow if it wasn't for my boys being involved. That's great. Well, well, let's talk about retirement a little bit because you were uh, in, in a totally different industry, right? You were in the clothing industry and yes. you, you did retire. And, and yes. what happened? You're just like, I, 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 I this, this isn't working for me. I got to do something. How'd you get into the tennis world? Well, I was, uh, I got married at 20 and uh, graduated college. And uh, I ended up selling clothes at the flea market with my wife while I was in college still. Uh, and then uh, I thought about, there's gotta be a better thing to do than selling one item at a time at a flea market. And I ended up getting into shoes and getting into uh, designer jeans. And uh, during that time, the head of tennis for Florida in junior tennis tapped me, out to, tapped me on the shoulder at one of the tournaments my kids were playing at and asked if I would be involved in helping Florida tennis. The end result was I became the head of Florida tennis for the juniors as I was working full-time and married and had two sons. <laughs> and uh, I ended up throwing the state junior championships, which back then the FTA did not help you financially. So I had to raise money, get sponsors, and we did it all financially. It was six figures and we raised it. And then uh, I sold my businesses, all of them. And uh, I retired at 39. And I actually stepped down from being head of junior tennis because uh, one son went professional, the other one went to college and I was done. And that's when I sold my businesses at the time. And three days, 
after I sold my business, I was going crazy, <laughs> literally. And I talked with my wife and said, I got to do something. I can't, I can't sit around because I worked seven days a week my whole life. That's how I was. And I said, I, I love tennis. I love being around people involved in tennis. I, and I enjoy business. That's fun for me. So the only business I knew that was involved in tennis was professional. And I called the tour to ask about getting an ATP event. And, you know, sometimes when you, you don't know, uh, that's better than knowing. I didn't know that the players were striking at the time. And there were 102 ATP tour events, and they were looking to get him down to 62. And I'm calling the tour to buy an event. Right. They, they literally laughed at me. Yeah, not, uh, not the best timing for that call, right? No, it was terrible. But they get, called me back. They checked on me, saw what I'd done with the USTA, and they asked me if I would do a, a challenger. So we did a challenger in Pembroke Pines for two years. It was the biggest prize money challenger in America. It was the only televised challenger ever in the United States. And two years later, uh, Russia collapsed and the Russian Tennis Federation basically dissolved. The tour took back their ATP tour event and they put it out for bid. And lo and behold, uh, we got the event and uh, it started there in Coral Springs. Started from there. Now, now, did you play tennis as a kid? Obviously, your kids were were very, very good. But did, did you said you were always a fan of tennis? Did you play as a child? No, I, I didn't say I was always a fan of tennis. Uh, I became a fan of tennis when one day my wife tapped on my shoulder and said, "Tomorrow we're going to a tennis tournament for the kids," and I had no idea my kids were playing tennis. Oh, okay. I was traveling <laughs> all over the place, and so we went to a tournament to watch Ivan play, and I think he was about eight and a half. And uh, he lost 6-0, 6-0. Uh, and I thought it was so much fun. Uh, I thought it was so much fun that uh, I had a ball. And then the tournament director came over to us and said, would I even like to play doubles? And I didn't even know kids played doubles. So uh, they set him up with another player who was as bad as Ivan. <laughs> and they lost 6-0, 6-0. And uh, we were in the car driving home. And Ivan was the best soccer player in the county and best baseball player in the county. So he was a natural athlete at eight and a half. Okay. And uh, David says to his mother, because I had nothing to do with tennis, uh, I want to be great. He said that. So I turned to my wife and said, what do you do? I said, well, we need to get him lessons. A year and a half later, he became the number one tennis player in America in the 10 and unders. No, you said David. Are you, do you mean Ivan? I meant uh, Ivan, excuse Ivan. me. Okay. okay. A year and a half later, he became the number one tennis player in the United States of America in the 10 and under. Okay. So you got into it just through your kids randomly just going to a tournament. Randomly. That's how you I do not play. Okay. We have a tennis court at our house with lights. Oh, nice. I think I'm the only tournament director in the world that's never played tennis. <laughs> that's a great story. So to, to, to bring it back to, to this year's field, obviously the timing works great for you because again, one, it's on hard court Two, it gives players um, ample time to play the event and then head over to Australia, meet the proper quarantine um, guidelines there. You got a, you got a strong field. You got the defending champ, Riley Opalka back. You got Dominic Kepfer, Milos Raonic is playing Francis Tifo. And then you got always the fun legends event. You got the Bryan brothers who won it last year we had no idea that that was going to be the last tournament that they really played i know yeah. they were hoping to, to finish at the u.s open they've been so great in all the tournaments they play but specifically in your event 
Um, they, they do so much for the sport of the sport of tennis. They, they also like own your event. They've won that title so many times. I don't have it in front of me, but I think they've won it maybe like six, six times. Um, you got the Jensen brothers. I've had Luke on this pod a couple of times. If you know, if, if no one knows anything about Luke and Murphy, I mean, all they do is they're, they're hundred percent energy all the time. It's going to be a blast. You're, you're obviously satisfied. Um, and probably, uh, the, the major strength of your timeline being the first of the first week of the year that you could have these guys, um, especially the tour guys, um, play a hard court event before going down to Australia. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to know that we're the first ones. Uh, everybody's going to literally be out here playing to, to get ready for the Australian Open. Uh, it's, it's something to be in South Florida. You know, the weather's magnificent. And before they get on the plane and go to Australia and being quarantined for two weeks before they even get to play the Australian Open. Yep. So it's a good, it's a good training time and practice and also to win 250 points and some nice money. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you know how much I love this event. I've covered it for several years now. Um, it, it's so great. The location is perfect. I know it's going to be different this year, but um, to, to anyone that listens to this, if you can make it down there, go ahead. You, you, it's such a blast. And, and Mark and his team have done everything possible to make this as safe as possibly can be. Um, you're going to see world-class tennis. Um, and it's not one of those huge events where you're going to see, you know, you're going to see them from a hundred thousand feet away. I mean, there's going to be guidelines in place. Yes. But it's a nice close event where you can really watch and see the, the incredible level of tennis. Again, it's a little bit different this year, but in normal circumstances, it's right off Atlantic Avenue, which is all the restaurants, all the shops, um, go this year. If you can't go this year, definitely go in the, in the future, because it's, it's an unbelievable event. And Mark, I, I wish, I wish nothing but the best for, for you and your team. I know you've been working day and night with everything going on and, um, you guys are first up and, and we wish you the best of luck. And, and we know it's going to be great. We, we know it's going, it's, to be great. it's going to be great. And the great thing about it is, which I tell people last year was the best event we ever had in our history, attendance wise and everything. And we're doing everything we did last year and even a little more. But if you went last year and you loved it, come this year, because now there won't be crowds. There won't be lines. You won't have to wait to get your hot dog. Uh, it really will be a special event this year, even with this pandemic. And good, another good thing is next year's event now is 13 months away. So we're going to have 13 months to put together the best event in our history in 2022. Amen, Mark. Amen. I, I, a hundred thousand percent agree with you. Thank you so much um, for taking a little bit of time. I know you got a ton to do, so I'm going to let you go, but best of luck. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, David. It was a pleasure.